0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic, talking to you guys on Wednesday night. It has been another action-packed week with this team, Uh, obviously coming off the game in Green Bay. I broke down that game on the podcast with our friend Matt Paris, and you can listen to that if you haven't heard already. Um, But we're going to talk about what's coming up, the Denver Broncos. We're going to do that with my uh, colleague from the Athletic, Nick Kosmider, who does a great job covering uh, the Broncos. He and I talked uh, yesterday at good length about there's a lot of comparisons I kind of find with these two teams, right? You've got two defenses that are supposed to be pretty good that have underachieved. You've got both teams a little, you know, sort of in quarterback limbo. Uh, You've got uh, two teams, frankly, desperately needing a win. Uh, Today, had a chance to talk to Vic Fangio. A couple of us did. A couple of us on the beat did. And I brought up this point to him about the comparison. And he says, well... I can kind of see it. I can kind of see that. But one thing I know for sure, we both need a win. And he's not wrong. They definitely need a win. The Washington football team needs a win if we're going to keep up any kind of talk about them in the playoffs. So i get into a bunch of that with Nick Kosmider. I think you guys are going to really like that conversation. At the end of the podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Wizards. Uh, I watched the, the part of their game tonight against the Celtics. They had pulled off the big win there. And we had some big news on the Athletic. There is a new Wizards beat writer, if you haven't heard, I'll drop some of the details at the end of this podcast. But in any event, if you are uh, you want to hear any of these podcasts, you can always find us on iTunes or Spotify, or you can now listen to it on the Athletic app. The Going through the Athletic means it's a commercial-free situation, so something to consider. And as far as uh, the Athletic itself, I've, I'll have a new article up by the time you guys probably hear this. Um, it's a focus on... I interviewed Danny Johnson who was one of the you know uh surprise pieces for for the game against Green Bay. I think he had a totally solid game. You know, all things considered including like he hasn't played on defense since 2019. They're facing Aaron Rodgers. He's playing a slot position he told me today. He's never he had not practiced before even um with his defense and yet I think he did a credible job. But part of my part of the story wasn't just about Danny Johnson, who's a very interesting guy. Smart guy, a dad He's, he's got plans once he gets out of football. Um, but it's also about Ron Rivera stuck with his plan. He had said he's not going to use Landon Collins anywhere other than essentially in the box. And obviously, that's what happened. And I think Landon Collins was effective in that role. But it would have been easy for Ron Rivera, I think, to say, well, we'll deal with this next week. No William Jackson. You're already incredibly short handed at cornerback. They had been using three safeties a lot this season. It wasn't that long ago. Week four and five, Landon Collins played 100% of the snaps. Ron Rivera stuck to it. And part of my story was about that that line for coaches between you you, you want to give talent and maybe players with status extra leeway. But sometimes you have to look at it and say, what is going to work for this team? And I think Ron Rivera made one of those calls with Landon Collins and Danny Johnson uh, stepped in. So it'll, I, I, it was a fun discuss fun conversation, uh, a, f- a fun article to write. It was good to catch up with Danny Johnson. Haven't talked to him for a minute, uh, because of the whole COVID situation. Plus, you know, he hasn't, he's been kind of on the back burner, but now he's a little front and center. We'll see how much, what, what else, he, what goes on with him this week. Uh, let me just go through a couple of quick things here before we get to my conversation with Nick Cosmider. So uh, Wednesday practice, uh, you know, we get our first look at sort of the injury situation for the week. Some positive news. Brandon Scherf, limited participant in practice. That's the most he's done since he uh, sprained his MCL in the week four game against Atlanta. Uh, I don't know if this means he will play, but, you know, you factor in you know, offensive linemen here, you're going to play through more than some of the other positions perhaps. So I think there's a decent chance we do see him out there. And I guess I would say on some level, right? I mean, look, Brandon Chirps getting paid $18 million a year. He's been out three games. I'm not saying you force a guy back. If he's not healthy, definitely not saying that. I'm just saying, I would imagine that, you know, there's probably a little more bit of a push here to see what he can do. Now there is the bye week coming up in week nine. If you're not sure about anybody, you keep that player out and you see what happens. Um, Part of the reason why I think that maybe Scherf would go is Wes Schweitzer did not practice today. He missed one play in the Green Bay game, but I because it was only one play, I didn't think too much about it. But he didn't practice today, and we'll see where he is the rest of the week. I mean, to be honest, and you not, know, you know, I'm sure there's some subtle differences between Brandon Scherf and what, or maybe not even subtle differences, but differences between what Brandon Scherf is doing and Wes Schweitzer is doing. Brandon Scherf is obviously one of the better guards in the league. But it doesn't feel like the Washington has missed that much. And some of the statistics out there have shown that West Schweitzer is doing a really good job winning his matchups at guard. So um, I, it's like on the one hand, there's no need to rush Brandon Scherf back. On the other hand, especially if Schweitzer is missing time, maybe there is something to that. Um, I don't think Logan Thomas will be back. He's still on IR. They didn't start the clock for him practicing this week. So I would imagine he'll be at another week. William Jackson was a limited performer uh, today. Uh, don't know what that means, right? We'll see. He was limited, I believe, last week Wednesday and Thursday. Then didn't practice Friday, and was out for um, out for the game, uh, which led to obviously the Danny Johnson uh, insertion into the lineup. So we'll see about that. Yes, Curtis Samuel still on the side field. I can't comprehend we'd see him until after the bye. Cam Sims. It looks like he will play. I, I would I would presume he uh, he actually spoke with us today with the media. And, you know, if they're going to do that, I think it suggests he's going to participate. He was out there practicing today. And the parts that we can see in the position drills, you know, typically at receiver, they'll have like two receivers go out for routes, you know, just in sort of the warm ups to to some degree. And typically it's Terry McLaurin and whoever else is going to start. Terry McLaurin was on the side field today. We'll presume he'll be fine for the game, but, you know. They're working, having him work with the trainers. In any event, the, two, the, the um, one of the two receivers that was going today as the or you know, de facto kind of starters, one was Cam Sims. So I think signs are pointing in that direction. And if Taylor Heineke is going to have some high throws, seems like Cam Sims would be a guy you'd want out there. So we'll see if there's something to um, to that. Um, you know, be, beyond that, you know, I think uh, you know I, I think we'll. Uh, you know, we'll see what goes on here the, the rest of the, the week. Uh, obviously, I'll be I'll be t- tweeting a bunch about this at Ben Standing and writing about more about this on The Athletic, so you can be sure to check that out. Oh, by the way, I guess just to note, uh, Dustin Hopkins, if you didn't hear, he has latched on with the Los Angeles Chargers. He is their new kicker. So props to Dustin Hopkins. Glad to see he's quickly back in the league, and obviously we're all going to be paying attention to see how he does relative especially to how Chris Blewett does. Here, um, you know, kickers are a weird breed. Like, you know, the, they can get hot. They can just go to another place and not miss. Um, we'll see what happens there. Best of luck to Dustin Hopkins. But obviously, the Washington needs blew it to uh, to make the, make the kicks he's uh, he's presented with because they're going to need, um, you know, all they can get. They've only scored 23 points the last two games. They, it's not that they didn't have scoring opportunities. They didn't cash in. You don't always want to settle for the field goal. But obviously, when you do... You got to make it, and uh, clearly they were, um, at least on some level, a little spooked by Hopkins. But um, we life moves life moves on, and and the Washington football team has done just that. Lastly, uh, obviously the owners' meetings are going on in New York. Um, I, I don't want to give short shrift to this. There's a lot of things happening out there. Uh, our our uh, NFL business reporter Dan Kaplan wrote a story from from Tuesday about how some of the f- former employees uh were there uh the, the ones those who were part of the um th- those who've, who've who've accused washington uh the organization of various forms of harassment they were there presenting a letter written by or signed by many of them um written by their attorneys outlying why they want the nfl to um release the wilkinson report make it public right i think we all kind of understand the purpose of that and 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 the need for that for transparency, um, so you can read that up on the Athletic today. Uh, m- meaning on Wednesday, with a lot of interesting stories. Seth Wickersham from ESPN, Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated, the Washington Post weighed in as well. Some some behind the scenes of what was going on with the owners only meeting on Tuesday, and specifically Tanya Snyder representing Washington in that meeting. And according to the various reports, I believe this was from Albert Breer, but maybe Wickersham as well, uh, or maybe all three, to be honest, saying that, you know, she apologized for uh, this investigation happening and that, you know, sort of the NFL kind of getting and the other owners getting kind of dragged into it. But I believe Albert Breer added she at no point apologized for uh, for any of the for any of the actions or or didn't take on any. Uh, responsibility. I believe in Albert Breer's story. It, it said to, so. At one of the sources, meaning an owner, said that it was a to, it was a quote tone deaf uh, comment. She apparently just sort of spoke. To, to, you had a prepared statement, and so on and so on. So, I would encourage everybody to go read that. Stay on top of that story as well. Again, we'll we'll, we'll obviously be talking about it more here, uh, and, and I'm sure I'll have some things uh, about this. As we go forward, but needless to say, this story is, is the one that's dominating the situation right now. What's going to happen with, with, with the owner. um, And so on, by the way, Roger Goodell spoke on Tuesday as well. And, you know, he said a lot of things about this team, including that he thinks Dan Snyder was appropriately punished, even though it, it, meaning the $10 million. And he made some reference to, he hasn't been part of the organization for several months, obviously none of that is really true, meaning, yes, he was fined $10 million, but the organization has gone out of its way to tell reporters, nope, it was the organization that was fined, not Dan Snyder. And as far as not being around the team, maybe Tanya Snyder is handling day-to-day duties as they are, but Dan Snyder has been to the games. Uh, he, Ron Rivera told Kevin Sheehan uh, earlier this month that he speaks to, to, to Snyder uh, once or one or two times a week. About, you know, various things. So, you know, maybe Dan Snyder isn't coming in and saying, you guys got to draft a quarterback in the first round. But he's clearly around. So, Roger Goodell's kind of acting like, you know, he was put on a barge and sent away is not a, uh, a- accurate depiction. In any event, we'll see how it goes. Long way to go on that one, I imagine. But it's going to be a fascinating watch without, without a doubt. Um, all right. Let's get to it. Here is my conversation with Nick Cosmider, our Broncos insider for the Athletic, and then after that, I'll have some thoughts about the Wizards, including our new hire for the Athletic. Let's get to all that right now here on the Standard Room Only podcast.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: All right, joining me on the podcast, as promised, he covers the Denver Broncos for the athletic which means that he and i are dealing with very similar situations going into this week eight matchup he is nick Cosmider at nick kosmiter on twitter with that's with a k sir how, uh, how how are you doing how are you i hope your your attitude is a little bit or, or your mood's a little bit better than the way your your team is performing because i have to say this myself the same thing if i if my mood reflects my team right now i'm not in a good space yeah, you can't
2: you can't let your uh, your mood be attached to how the teams you're covering is doing. As as I'm sure you know, having covered Washington for some time, and certainly ever since I've been in the Broncos' orbit at all, um, you know that's been the case here in Denver as well. So, no, I'm great, man. A Thursday played on a Thursday night in Cleveland. Um, got back, you know, took a 6 a.m. flight home after a night game. Was was wrecked on Friday, but then you know they had the long weekend, right? So nothing Saturday, nothing Sunday. Uh, they even had Monday off. So now getting back to work today after having a few days off is kind of nice.
1: Yeah. The, 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 the Thursday mini bi-week, unfortunately we had one on week two. Like I didn't really need one then, <laughs> right, but right. okay. You know, it is what it is. Um, when you're yeah. still
2: relatively fresh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, you, you don't feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders the way it does. A little bit now um but well, we were we were talking like right before we came on like we our teams have come at this from different ways but it feels like we've arrived at the same spot here we had you know some pretty decent expectations going into the year led by a pretty you know, supposedly a pretty good defense um but with questions at quarterback and here we are now uh, going to week eight two and five record really the defense has struggled the quarterback questions remain not just this year but long term and there's zero momentum going into this which is looking like kind of a must win if they want to harbor hopes of of uh, playoffs and things like that and we get to you guys you guys start 3 and 0 but like but you also had you know high hopes for deep for this defense you had quarterback questions uh I don't know exactly how off the defense has been but it hasn't been ideal you still have quarterback questions you've now lost four in a row and this feels like it's arguably i again must win maybe a a a, a, a too much of a, of a term but like kind of feels like that too so uh <laughs> people have heard how i view oh, yeah. where we're at here i mean what what's what
2: what's happened here with you guys uh since uh since that good start yeah, I mean, I think you, you pretty much had the bullet points summed up well there. Uh, the Broncos went into this season saying, listen, this is our formula that we think is is going to work. We're going to have a stout defense. You know, they thought one of the best in the league, given the veteran talent that they had, and particularly in the secondary, um, you know, this is going to be a defense that can, um, you know, really impact games. Um, we will have a veteran quarterback who doesn't turn the ball over, um, will run the ball you know, kind of play safe on that side of the ball. And that's going to be enough for us to win, um, you know, a lot of close games. And um, as you mentioned, 3-0 and by virtue of a really soft opening schedule, uh, they played well in those games, mind you. They, they th- through three games, not only were they 3-0, and but they had the, the tie for the top point margin in the league with Buffalo at plus 50. So while the schedule certainly helped, they were playing better at that point in the season. Um, but then the Broncos did what they've just done so frequently over the last few years is, they start to lose and it just snowballs and, and they start making the same mistakes and get into these cycles that they can't get out of. And it's been a number of things. They um, they're getting burned deep in the passing game. They've given up first drive touchdowns in each of the last three games. And in all three of those drives had a, had a pass of at least 35 yards that the defense gave up. And so they're starting games, getting gashed defensively at an area they were supposed to be really strong. And that's just sort of fed into you know a lot of other issues. The offense remains inefficient. Um, they're not turning the ball over quite as much, but they're also less explosive than they were a season ago. Um, so it's kind of come out in the wash. They're they're right around 20 points a game, just like they were a year ago. Um, so there's not a lot of explosiveness. There's not a lot of creativity on offense. Um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is continuing to look more and more like kind of a placeholder, right? Until they can figure out until new George, new general manager George Payton can figure out kind of his quarterback situation going forward. Um, so as you mentioned, yeah, just a lot of question marks. Um, and it's, you know, it's seven games in in a 17-game schedule. And you like to say at three and four, uh, certainly there's time to turn this thing around. But Washington for Denver represents the true kind of last hope, I think, to, to resurrect this season in a way that can give you hope going into November that you actually have um, a shot because the schedule intensifies. Um, and, and this is one of kind of their last games they can look at and say, this is one we, we really have to win uh, in order to turn it around. But I got to, I got to think Washington, right. is kind of viewing this game in the same light.
1: Yeah. I think so. Ron Rivera made some comment yesterday, something to the effect of like, this is a game we can win. And obviously that they have to think that every week, but I don't know if I've heard him say it like exactly like that. And obviously they've had their schedule lately has been the, the last, you know, since week three, but play Buffalo, they were at Atlanta. They won that then new Orleans, uh, Kansas city at green Bay. Now you guys, and then Tampa Bay is the game after the bye week So lose this game. It's like, you're looking at a five game losing streak. And with that, that point we're talking about, you know, 2022. Uh, So it is a big, it is a big deal um, in, in that regard. Um, But look, we can talk about the specifics about some of the things that are going wrong, but the quarterback play is obviously a huge deal for, for, for everybody. And both these teams, are on this merry-go-round. Washington's merry-go-round has been going on for uh, basically 30 years at this point. Uh, you guys haven't yeah. had that much of an issue. uh You're honoring Pey- Peyton Manning's getting honored um, at halftime as a reminder that Denver actually has been good relatively recently. Um, but you know, there, there's also been the uh, Paxton Lynch's of the world and and you know the, the Brock Osweilers and now you know, like you mentioned. Bridgewater uh, you know Washington brought in its own essential placeholder Ryan Fitzpatrick and he gets hurt in the opening game and Taylor Heineke you know he's done fine but like he's you know I mean he yeah he is what he is and that's kind of you know I was debating with somebody whether he or Bridgewater is the better quarterback and the fact that that's even a discussion kind of says where we're, we're, we're all uh at, at here but at the same point like Bridgewater it feels like when people look at the off-season list of free agent quarterbacks like he's sort of at the top of the list by default So like what, so what's the deal with, 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 with him? I feel like I always want to have high hopes for him and maybe it's never been the same because of the injuries, but like, is he just, it looks like, and it looks like he's not healthy right now. What, what's the issue with him? Is he just not have the tools? Is it just a little bit off? I know like
2: Jerry Judy's coming back. Like what's the, what's the, what's been kind of holding him back? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a combination of things. And it's interesting when you look at, when you just sit back and you look at his numbers um, they're not bad. Right. Like he's fifth in the NFL in completion percentage. He's, I, I believe, 12th, 12th or 13th uh, in passer rating. Um, you know, he's he's got 12 touchdowns, which is top 12 among starting quarterbacks. So um, the numbers don't suggest that he's played super poorly. And, and that's not how I would describe his play. Like I don't think he's played poorly. Um, but where he has fallen short um, is is to start games, um, you know, his, his first half. Uh, efficiency uh, has been, has been really poor. And I don't put all of that on Teddy Bridgewater. Um, You know, the, the Broncos are just not inventive early in games in terms of play calling. Um, A lot of their protection issues are happening early in games to where you wonder just about the overall preparedness, um, you know, that the team has going into some of these games because they're just getting, you know, kind of confused along the offensive front. They're, they're, um, they're just not being able to strike for big plays. Uh, early on that, I mean, that's been a theme during the four games is that they, they haven't scored early, Um, you know, against the Browns, they had 76 total yards in the first half, zero points, two first downs. I mean, that's not, that's not passable offense against anybody. And so that, that's what they're running into. It's team-wide. It's not just Bridgewater, but, but what it has revealed about Bridgewater is I think kind of what we thought going into this, right. Is he's going to be able to play to sort of the level of what's around him. He's not going to be a quarterback who, who lifts an offense on his shoulders. Um, and, and that's kind of the way that, that it's played out to this point. Um, so they just have to find a way to be more efficient early in games. Having Jerry Judy back, which is what they'll have on Sunday. He was injured in week one against the Giants. He um, was having a huge game at the time, six catches for 72 yards at halftime. Um, so he should be a big weapon that can really put some pressure on a defense, get guys out of position a little bit. And hopefully Teddy Bridgewater will be able to capitalize on that um, you know, but but that it's it's hope at this point for the Broncos because they just haven't been able to string together anything consistently enough.
1: So here's the elixir for that early start problem. Washington's on for the opponents against Washington on first drives this year. Seven games. Touchdown, 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 field goal, interception, touchdown, touchdown. There you go. So well, if, if, you if, 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 if you can't score against <laughs> this defense to start a game, I don't know what to tell you. Well, we'll um,
2: we'll flip that right around. How is how is Washington as a first drive offense this season? What what how how have they how uh, have they done opening Drives. Yeah, I don't
1: think terrible. They um they scored on their first possession th- uh, this last week. That was their only touchdown of the game. Uh, that they scored. I mean, they've been okay, but like uh, t- like Taylor Heineke is his issue isn't coming out aggressive. Like he's kind of the same mindset all the time. He doesn't get caught up in, I don't know pressure or stuff it's just a matter of like what happened so they've been i don't know i, I, I haven't looked that up but uh yeah i haven't noticed as a problem but they're always starting behind seven nothing they keep winning the coin toss they keep deferring and they automatically trail seven nothing yeah that's that and that's
2: in. that's what bronco that's almost the same situation for the broncos they they win the toss and they defer and then they get scored on and last game on Thursday. Kevin Stefanski the Browns win the toss and from what I understand Cleveland like most teams typically defers um, but he said you know what let's go ahead and take the ball uh, and they took the ball with Case Keenum and they went I mean like a knife through butter your Denver's defense on the first drive of the game um, you know so that's you know that's something to look at I, I would imagine that if, if Washington wins this toss maybe Ron Rivera's thinking differently let's just go ahead and um, you know, try to, try to capitalize on this, this Denver defense, uh, in, on, in that first score kind of way. Um, it's just been really alarming because to me, it just speaks to, if, if you're getting, if you're that out of position on an opening drive, um, time and time again, that, that to me, um, uh, there, there's some, you know, there's some technique stuff, there's some missed tackles and stuff like that. But to me, that just speaks to a lack of preparedness, um, you know, I, I don't know how, how, if if you view the Washington's defense the same way, or if they're just not making the plays that are there to be made. But to me, that that comes down to scouting, c- comes down to game planning, to be not ready and getting burned so often on opening drives.
1: Yeah, w- Washington's going through a little bit of a transition right now, and it started effective. It started sort of officially this last week in that Landon Collins. Um, you know, he he's been. On the field a lot and he's getting burned a lot down the field. The opponents are really good about finding him in making him cover down the field and he's just struggled. And they finally Ron Rivera finally came out and said that they view him as a box safety, a downhill linebacker type guy, whatever it may be. And even though this week they didn't have William Jackson who they signed when Ronald Darby went to you guys, um he didn't have him and like they were their, their corner depth is pretty thin. They still kept Landon Collins in a limited role. Um, and he only played, uh, he played less than half their snaps, um, basically just by in, in the box. But doing that, even without William Jackson, I think it made their secondary a little bit better. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is going to get his, but they didn't have nearly the breakdowns this past week. It looked like as they did before. And I think that's a function of, at some point you can't just, so, sometimes like systems, like we, we get focused on the individual talent, but sometimes the system is yeah. about the system and it's not about the individual players, and as long as people can sort of do the within the jobs within, then it can work. And maybe again, Aaron Rodgers did what he had to do. Got three touchdowns. I suspect Green Bay could have scored a lot more than twenty-four points if they had felt compressed. They didn't, um so yes. we'll see what happens. But like, there was signs this week that maybe things were were changing. But overall, the defenses just have been nothing but miscommunication, lack of coordination between the front and the back, uh, the pass rushes been there but not enough to like make a real difference and things like that so um there's signs of progress but i keep noting the fact that we have to talk about these in- incrementally small signs of progress shows just how far down uh things have been and whatever but that's the thing right but Washington has faced ridic- like teddy bridgewater will be the worst quarterback they will have faced um i guess the answer before was Jameis winston and he threw four touchdown passes in one game against them i mean i guess yeah. you could say daniel jones
2: but daniel- against but against these guys, Daniel Jones is like Superman for whatever the reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, well, let me ask you about this. As, so, with Chase Young, obviously the reigning defensive rookie of the year, um, I know he got off to, to a slow start. Um, you know, edge rushers against the Broncos have been feasting lately. Uh, Max Crosby had had three and a half sacks a couple weeks ago. Um, Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett got a lot of pressure on Teddy Bridgewater uh, the other night. Um, you know, so, so there certainly is, I think an opportunity there, Garrett Bowles, the starting left tackle for Denver, who was an all pro a year ago, didn't give up a single sack, according to pro football focus has been charged with five of them this year. So, so they're vulnerable kind of everywhere on, on the offensive line. Do you, do you see a, a breakout coming for chase young? What What's kind of, where, where do you sort of view him right now?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, he's been better lately, but again, it's sort of by incremental levels. I mean, he, Um, he's such an athletic presence that I think part of his issue has been, and we've talked about it is like, he didn't maybe spend time this offseason developing the next move. Okay. People saw I can do this. How do I then counter with this? And it doesn't seem like that's completely happened. I mean, again, it's not, it's not like the defensive line as a whole, it's not like they've been bad. They just haven't been as good as, as this team needs to be. John Allen has been really good though inside um he's got I think four sacks now he had two the other day I think he's got four now um which is a lot for an interior lineman um they have guys I mean somebody's getting the one-on-one matchup so whether it is Chase Young or Montez Sweat or Allen or Payne or Matt I and I this is their other guy like all those guys can win um and at least four of them are pretty good at getting to the quarterback so uh, whether it's Chase Young or somebody else if you're telling me that these guys are vulnerable then that's opportunity but that said I feel like (laughs) I feel like every week some of the other team is missing one or two offensive linemen. And we have some conversation about this is the week that things go right. At least from a sack perspective. I know sacks aren't everything. Um, I, I will say like, it did feel like against green Bay that they were getting more pressure on Rogers, uh, especially in the first half. I thought they did a, a better job with that. Again, it's it's almost hard to gauge because he's who he is. Right. So he's going to erase a lot of mistakes. Um, their first touchdown came on a fourth down play and you know, there was one time I got a holding call and the next play. He immediately runs for 15 yards. So, um, so I, I, I guess you could say that it feels like there's a breakout coming collectively, but
2: I, I guess wake yeah. me up
1: when it, when it, when it happens at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You got to see it now. And it's been interesting for, for Denver too. I mean, we, I talked about some of their problems um, in the secondary, but one of the big issues they've had defensively is that, you know, look, Vic Fangio plays the two high safeties, right? So what he wants to do is he wants to be able to pressure with the front four, um, play zone, and, and, and kind of disguise coverages, confuse quarterbacks that way. Um, and, but, but to do that effectively, you have to have to speed up their tempo with that front four rush, and they're just not doing it. Uh, Von Miller got off to a fast start during that 3-0 start. He had four sacks in the first three games, um, only has uh, half a sack combined since now he's dealing with an ankle injury that he suffered against the Browns he should play this week, but he's not practicing today. Um, you know, so, so we'll, we'll see just how hobbled if at all, he is, um, you know, but then they're, they're just not really getting a whole lot of rush anywhere else. Um, you know, Bradley Chubb, the, the 2018 number five overall pick um, has played, uh, he hasn't played at all outside of like two series in week two against Jacksonville. Then he had had a cleanup ankle procedure. He's not going to be back for another couple weeks at least. Um, you know, Malik Reed, a, a nice player, former undrafted guy, uh, has a couple sacks this year, but hasn't really been able to con- consistently impact games. Um, and then on the interior, they're, they're not doing a whole lot at all in terms of um, upfront pressure. So, yeah, when you don't have that, that that's kind of where I think a lot of their problems start is just guys have underperformed. Um, they're, they're not they're just not getting to the quarterback often enough. So that that's what interests me about a game like this. Right. Is, is two teams um you know dealing with some of these similar issues you know um who's going to be able to fix it enough to you know to get back on track a little bit
1: yeah let, let me ask you before to to wrap up here two other topics that are not related necessarily to sunday but still I feel like there's a lot of interesting parallels here or connect or comparisons to start with the quarterback so one of the issues that people have had here is in 2020 they had the second pick in the draft that they, they went with Chase Young rather than taking Tuatunga Viola or Dustin Herbert. There's really no, for me, there's no Monday morning quarterbacking Dwayne Haskins was here, regardless of what I thought of him or others. You know, he was only going into a second year. Ron Rivera was new. You kind of had to see it out. Chase Young obviously considered to be a really good prospect. So they did that last year. They inexplicably win the division. And by doing so ended up picking at 19, which was going to be lower than anywhere. The quarterbacks would be in the, in the draft class. They all went at least in the top 15 and they didn't, Trade up the Bears, who had to pick one below them, did trade up to get Justin Fields. You know, they had to give up some picks, and it wasn't like some insane Paul, relatively speaking, but okay. And now that means two years in a row, they were releasing some uh, scenario where they could have relatively easy taken a quarterback and didn't. And now they're going to an offseason where the free agent market, like I said, looks thin at the moment. And this is not a draft class that has some Trevor Lawrence type guy, or is a lot of uncertainty at that position. The, The Broncos actually had a very the opposite thing they were sitting right there as somebody who was doing a lot of mock drafts and, and thinks about this way too much I remember just like okay they're gonna have to take one of these people right they're gonna I mean you're gonna take Justin Fields you're gonna take Matt Jones or whoever the person is but I, I do remember thinking towards the end does it is it make any sense to go with the stopgap and go with like I honestly thought this like do you go with a guy like Sertain thinking we're gonna load up on defense to to, to deal with Mahomes and and Herbert they obviously went that route and we'll see over time whether certain is worth it or whatever but they passed on the quarterback so just from that perspective what was what's been the reaction to oh we're, we're here again like we, we, we still don't know who the quarterback is this season is going down and we, it's hard you're in the same boat who knows yeah. what it's going to be like I mean you guys have
2: Drew Locke but I'm guessing at this point he's not viewed as a as a long-term answer no he's he's not I actually wrote about that today that the Broncos kind of through their actions, right, um, you know, acquiring Teddy Bridgewater for a sixth-round pick and only paying him three million dollars, and yet choosing to start him uh, and even play him while kind of hurt last week, um, that that that's, the Broncos have shown through their actions that they've moved on from Drew Locke, If you know whether it's now or at the end of the season, uh, he's not their answer. That that's that's my read on it. Um, is that is that they don't view him as a part of this long term picture? Um, and you're right, the Broncos. You know, look at just kind of look at the way that they've gone right since Peyton Manning retired. Um, you know, 2016, going into that year, they think, okay, Brock Osweiler, who backed up Peyton Manning, who was a, a, a quality fill-in during that 2015 season while Manning was uh, rehabbing a leg injury, um, they thought he was going to re-sign with them in free agency. Goes to the Texans. The Broncos, obviously you know, didn't lose out on that. Right. Brock Osweiler turned out not to be a franchise type quarterback. Um, 2017 Trevor Simeon, a, a former seventh round pick, um, you know, kind of becomes their starter, uh, 2018 they, they signed Case Keenum, you know, after his kind of flash in the playoffs with the Vikings. Um, and in doing so they passed up drafting Josh Allen, uh, number five overall, they could have had him instead drafted Bradley Chubb. So a similar situation to Washington there. Um, you know, and part of that was John Elway probably, you know, burned by Paxton Lynch his first round pick in 2016. Um, you know, I, I think that's part of why he maybe saw some similar, some similarities with Josh Allen and didn't pick him. But what I tell people is you chose, if you chose Josh Allen, um, who obviously needed some work in that first year, first two years with Buffalo, what did the Broncos have the system in place to, you know, to speed up the maturation or, or to, to shepherd a young quarterback through the system. I, I'm not so sure. Um, so they've continued to kind of go to these stop gaps, Joe Flacco, now Teddy Bridgewater. So I think there was that a little bit of frustration from that fan base saying, okay, new, new general manager, top 10 pick. The one thing that the Broncos have not done in terms of trying to fix their quarterback problem since Manning is draft a quarterback, high like in the top 10 that's one thing they haven't tried and they finally had a chance to do it and as you mentioned there were two of them on the board in mac jones and justin fields and they passed on both of them so dan's going to be a great player i think he's going to be an all pro level cornerback uh he's been excellent as a rookie and, and that's going to be important kind of going down the road um and so so it's just going to be a matter of how george payton views this do they really think that they're going to be in this aaron Rodgers sweepstakes if he does in fact decide that he's going to move on from green bay you know, I'm, I remain skeptical about that. You know, we, we, um, you, you know, we, we saw it go, go on last year. Like Aaron Rodgers is totally going to be done with green Bay he moves on, you know, t- think people change their minds and, and, and I'm not convinced that he's not going to stay in green Bay going forward. Um, but you know, who knows? I, I just don't think that's a great strategy to have. Hey, we're going to get Aaron Rodgers next year, but the Broncos have so much to figure out. There's going to be a, a new ownership in place by next year. Um, unless things turn around here in a pretty stark way there's going to be a new coaching staff next year um, so th- there's just a lot of things that that are going to be very new uh, for Denver and um, you know so, so, so it's going to be a busy offseason
1: that's almost why like I'm surprised to a degree like Ron Rivera has time on his side uh, you know he they, they won a division last year as so insane as it was they did and he's got one year into a five-year deal. So they could afford to be like, all right, we, we don't love any of these quarterbacks, I guess, in the draft. We'll go with the Ryan Fitzpatrick route and see what happens. Um, whereas you guys, like you said, it, felt, it, does, it has felt like Fangio could be in some sort of a trouble depending on what happens this year. Um, but, you know, there is also the ownership component, right? And the ownership component here gets this team in trouble all the time. And forget the off-the-field stuff, which is in the news again, but like even on-the-field stuff, he's the one that pushed for Dwayne Haskins by doing so. It effectively forced Jay Gruden out because they went zero and five in that first year to, to start. Um, it, it saddled Ron Rivera with somebody in Dwayne Haskins that clearly didn't work out. So they, you know, who knows if they would have taken a quarterback at two in 2020 if if Haskins didn't exist, but they didn't. And now they're looking at a situation where they're going into year th- possibly they're going to go into year three most likely unless Taylor Heineke, who again he's been relatively fine, ha- has a massive spike in, in in all his things and grows four inches. Um, you know, unless all those things happen, they're going to be in the same boat going to year three of Ron Rivera without a quarterback and and not a lot of options to do it, but they also have these other obstacles. You mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Like I just wrote the story the other day about all of Washington's challenges with finding a quarterback and what are the paths. And it was impossible to discuss it without saying, why would a guy like Aaron Rodgers or would he even consider this place before the year when people thought that they might have a top five defense and Ron Rivera and Rodgers both went to Cal maybe now, the defense is floundering. And more importantly, ownership is back in the news for all the wrong reasons. Why would Aaron Rodgers even think about coming here? Denver was a place that did get mentioned a lot. But like you said, it could be a new coach. Um, Ownership is up in the air. By the way, maybe the new coach is a good thing. Because right if it is a new yeah. coach, you can go to Aaron Rodgers and kind of be like, all right, who give me who's the guy. You got somebody in Green Bay you think we should be looking at or somebody else around the league. Maybe that's a way to entice him. But well, I and that's to- it.
2: Point because that that and that's why I think there's a disconnect between what fans want like for the rest this season right Denver's three and four Washington's two and five fans want you to lose they want you to um you know get get better draft picks trade everybody make your salary cap situation better all those kind of things but losing has real consequences because of things like this right you're talking about an Aaron Rodgers and that he's not a guy that comes around into a potential free agency or trade situation very often but he's just sort of an example of the consequences that losing can have if you, if, if it permeates an organization, if it, if it continues, if it just seems like an organization has no way out of these losing kind of scenarios, then why does a quarterback who is only trying to win a championship at that point in his career, um, how's he going to see that and be like, well, this is going to change now. Like granted, a guy like Aaron Rodgers has a lot of faith in his own ability Um, but he wants to leave green Bay in part because he thinks that they've been mismanaged or that was the story at at least last summer. So is he going to look at a Denver that that's floundered since Peyton Manning left and not just in that they've lost games, but just in, they've not had a lot of clear direction. They've had all this ownership drama and Washington, the same thing. That's to me is why I say, listen, they're three and four, um, they're going to be trying to win. And that's what they should be doing because you can't just keep having losing seasons. It, It just feeds on itself. It it has a lot of negative consequences that go beyond where you're drafting in the draft. And so, you know, that. and I think that's what you're kind of, what you're alluding to is you see that in these kind of quarterback pursuits and it gets hard to get out of it. And,
1: and I was going to ask lastly, so like obviously the everything here is impacted by ownership. Like any company, it doesn't matter if it's NFL or any company, it all starts at the top. I think that's the truest thing I've ever heard about any type of work scenario like or any organization. Like whatever the culture, thoughts, good, bad, whatever, it's going to start there and permeate down and you know here even the idea of ron rivera has full power over everything i'm not necessarily making a statement but does ron rivera warrant having full power right i mean he's never had he's never had it before uh you know he's had some good success at carolina he also had he's had losing seasons in 10 7 of 10 years but dan snyder gave him that control and we'll see what happens it's, it's some of it's been good so we'll see what happens um, but you guys have no owner, or it's a very weird ownership story. It's the complete opposite of this scenario. You do have John Elway, who is, I guess serves as the leading the ship, and George Payton is considered to be a really good GM. But you guys, your ownership story is crazy. We don't have to get into the whole thing. I, I will just say uh, our friend Nikki Jabala wrote a really interesting story a couple of years ago, breaking down all the drama. It's really read like a soap opera going on there. But how is that? Like, how does that aspect to have essentially no owner like nobody saying what, what to do or anything. How, how do you think that aspect has affected everything that's kind of gone on? Yeah,
2: I I think it would be impossible to not make, you know, not not sort of connect some dots there that say ever since they've had this ownership situation, which is just the, you know, kind of the bullet point of it is that right now the team is run by the Pat Boland trust. Um, So it's run by three trustees, including president, um, the, the team president, Joe Ellis is sort of the owner designee at this point, he's going to retire in March of next year. Um, so they're going to transition ownership to either one of the Bolin children, which is a, a, an unlikely scenario because they would all have to agree on, on one of them. And, and given that there's been lawsuits between the siblings and that kind of thing, that looks very unlikely. So to me, a much more, a, a much more viable option is that the team is going to be sold to, to an outside uh, owner and outside uh, and you know ownership group whatever the case might be um, and, and that I think that uncertainty while the, the team certainly denies this at every turn um, I, I it's it's like what you said there's just no way that you can have instability or question marks or a lack of just like you know pure leadership at the top and not think that that's going to have an effect on things as they go down um, you know, right now the Broncos are going to have, like, again, it, it, there's going to be so much change and the timing of it is interesting because they're going to have probably a new ownership coming in March. Well, if you are, if you are hiring a new staff, as we know that happens immediately after the season is over. Um, cause you, you want to give that person as much time as possible to get into all the offseason stuff and everything like that. So, um, you know, do, do at that point, do they already have kind of an idea of who that owner is going to be? Do they, do they kind of clear some of these decisions Does George Payton and, you know, Joe Ellis, whoever else kind of say, Hey, this is what we're thinking if you're going to become the owner, like it's, the timing is interesting. um, But, but yeah, I I definitely think that the ownership or or the kind of the lack of traditional ownership um, has hurt the Broncos in ways. Some of them maybe not as quantifiable as others. um, But I I just think overall, they're, they're ready to have a new person just kind of coming in charge, create a new, just a new identity, a new culture, and kind of get that going.
1: Well, at least you guys have some hope on that front. Around here, that's part of the issue. I don't think people have hope that, that anything's going to change on that front, and that's what makes everything else that happens underneath it so tough. Uh, so, lastly, would you like to make? Would you dare to make a prediction about who would, who is going to win this? Uh, I feel like I feel like neither one of us want to pick the team that we cover, but simultaneously recognize this is a, this is the game to get. So, if they're ever going to figure it out, so it it it, 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 it is
2: tough. I reluctantly yeah you know I do I'm one of the panel of um expert pickers um that that do our thing every week and I I did pick the Broncos I think in a close low scoring game um you know I think that if the Broncos are trailing at halftime Peyton Manning will already be in the building about to be inducted into the ring of fame he'll just go ahead and step onto the field um you know and kind of lead a a comeback if necessary one final time um because you know they got it they can't lose on Peyton Manning day. Of course we said this, they can't lose their, their last home game against the Raiders. Mike Shanahan, the winningest coach in franchise history, who rarely lost to the Raiders. There was no way they were going to lose a home game to the Raiders who had just, you know, kind of de facto fired their head coach. Um, they're not going to lose to the Raiders that week. And of course they got blown out. So um, I, I would not be surprised by anything that occurs on Sunday, but I'm going to narrowly pick the Broncos to win and snap their four-game losing streak. What about you?
1: Yeah, I forgot that we both did the the, the picks thing. I I believe I also went with, with Denver, largely because of the home field aspect. I mean, just, you know, whatever. But like I said, I mean, you know, Taylor Heineke's been up for the t- challenge. He just doesn't always have the skills to get it done. They've been scoring decently, but the last two weeks scored a combined 23 points, including 10, you know, 13 against a Kansas City defense that can't stop anybody. Um, So that to me, like I feel like the defense is starting to come around enough and I would be surprised, I guess, if Teddy Bridgewater is the guy to shred them the way we've seen other teams, but they're going to have to be able to score consistently. So the fact that it's on the road and they've got some injuries to deal with as well. And I don't know if they're going to get a lot of their guys back this week. So, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree. It feels like a, you know, I don't know, 23, 20 kind of a game. Um, And I'm going to go with the home team. So, um, you know, I guess, we'll, I, I guess, I guess we'll see, but yeah, I don't, I, the last few weeks I felt pretty confident picking against Washington, even with the spread this week. Ah, I don't know what we're going to yeah. have to see. Um, all right. Well, go read, go read Nick's uh, story about uh, Denver's own quarterback problems and everything else. He's got up on the athletic this week. I, I really appreciate the time. And again, go follow him on Twitter at Nick Cosmiter. Uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate the time. Thanks, Ben. Take it easy. All right. Um, Many thanks to Nick Cosmider, and as I mentioned at the top, I wanted to touch base a little bit on the Wizards on a couple of fronts. One, they had a uh, game tonight, beat the Boston Celtics in Boston, uh, despite Bradley Beal having uh, an off night. Something I don't know if they would have done too much in the past. We'll talk about that in a second. In addition, The Athletic, as as some of you may know, and as I mentioned at the top, we do have a a new Wizards rider. We'll discuss that as well. But I didn't want to just talk about the Wizards solo, and I didn't have a um i i i didn't have an, an, a guest lined up so i reached out to my friend adam rubin who is a former uh i can't say beat writer but a former writer of things wizards for uh the, the great blog truth about uh, truth about it uh, rest in peace he is also a, a um, former wizard season ticket holder he is the founder of the free shadow movement uh adam rubin's credentials go r- run long uh as does the Wizards' depth these days, Adam, which is a bizarre thing to say because they never had any over the last – I don't even know how many years it's been since they had actual depth because even back when they were a playoff team with Wall and Beal, it's like often like they were having to sign like Drew Gooden and like Ramon Sessions out, out of necessity, but they got some actual depth. So, uh, you know, you're, you're a Wizards fan yet pessimist. So where what do you think after four games?
3: Well, I wouldn't call me a pessimist. I would Uh, call me a a realist.
1: Realist, sorry.
3: In the case of the Wizards franchise being a realist means being a pessimist. But they, yeah, the depth makes it certainly a lot more enjoyable to watch. Um, Even with Gafford going down, you would think a starting center down and Thomas Bryant also being out, that would be a big problem. But then you have uh, Montrez coming in, stepping up his game and playing a lot of minutes. and and really dominating the paint. So from, from that, from KCP, from Dinwiddie uh, being uh, calm and collected at the end and getting some baskets and free throws uh, the depth showed tonight, uh, definitely with, with Beal having an off night.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I only caught the last, um, basically the fourth quarter dealing with my day job and then, you know, some other things. And, um, You know, at that point, Daniel Gafford went out with what I think they said was a quad injury. We'll see. It was questionable return. I don't think he came back. Uh, So we'll see where he's at. Um, And then then Hollow Neto didn't play at all. So you had, you know, again, relatively speaking, the starting center and I guess the backup point guard out. And like I said, even just a year ago or any point in the last few years, just moving, losing two guys like that would have been a disaster. And then Beal was what, seven for 25, I think, from the field, over six from three five turnovers. Um, he had one basket late, but for the most part was kind of a non-factor late, at least not a non-factor in a positive way. And yet, you know, they, they kind of pushed the Celtics off in the end. Um, you know, again, don't, don't, don't take my positive tone as to suggest the Wizards are going to compete with Milwaukee and the Nets for the title. We saw what the Nets did to the Wizards the other night, but it is just from an entertainment standpoint at the end of the day, that is what sports is a distraction, a diversion a time, a way to spend your time it so far has been a far, far more enjoyable product Uh, for me. And I think for you too, than it's been in recent years. I know people love the Westbrook show. I get it. It was a great spectacle. I enjoyed it myself at times, but like day in day out, it just, for me, it was a draining experience and they had no depth to boot. Uh, This is a much more interesting brand of basketball. And I've already, people have already heard me wax about, you know, the joy of no Scott Brooks. Um, So we'll see where West Unsell does, but so far it's been interesting there as well is there any one of the I don't know the new pieces the new look any of those things that for you particularly like are you gonna like if you were gonna go out and buy a new uh you know a new jersey or you wanted a bobblehead or anything on those lines is there anybody who's already in the in the favorite uh category for you
3: well I've always liked Dinwiddie's game so I'm glad to see that he's recovered uh from the injury and seems to be uh, he may have lost a little bit of quickness, but he's still got that savvy, still getting his shot off. And so I, I kind of like having him as a, a calming presence on the court. I also like the fact that Dinwiddie and Kuzma and KCP, they don't defer to Beal. And I think that helps a lot on the offensive sets, whereas last year and in the years past, players like Denny, uh, even Thomas Bryant, uh, most of the young guys, they would just watch Beal run in circles and wait for him to get open and give him the ball sometimes at the end of the shot clock. And that's a lot it has to do with Scott Brooks' offense as well. But here, if you watch, you'll see a few times that Beal will flash to the top of the key with his hands out calling for the ball when he normally would have received it. Kuzma doesn't even look his way. Dinwiddie doesn't bother looking. And KCP's, you know, happy to shoot a three. So I think that really helps the offense move, and they're not focused solely on one player. So I think it's the combination of having four competent NBA players on the floor with Beal that helps make the the offense a lot more fun to watch. Uh, having said that, and I know you and I have had issues with this in my discussions of Beal's playing style, I, I'm not as happy with the way that Beal has uh, blended in or not blended with his teammates so far this year. I mean, the, I, I just find his 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 shots he just i think he's just chucking it way too much and, and still playing in that mindset that he had last year so that's the one thing where i'm seeing if maybe Wes unselled, it's only four games in he's only played three games so we have to see if he will adjust but he he's just playing with that same mentality he did last year where he's the lead guy he has to shoot and that's just not necessary anymore and i think it's to the to the detriment of of the team
1: yeah, um, the um, yeah the the, the Beal. I, I like your take. We talked about this the other day on those other guys not deferring to Beal. You and I, you know, people, if people think I get excited, talking about the Wizards on this podcast or when I was with Fred, you should hear when Adam and I talk about it on the side because we have some d- differences of opinion at times on the on the Beal show. And my basic take was always like, look, what else is he? What else was he going to do? They didn't have a lot of other guys on this team on either end of the court to help, and obviously when we're talking about the lack of depth, I think there's something to that point, but also like, other than like take Westbrook out of it, who's kind of like an alien. Part of it was also like for better or for worse, they, they did probably defer to Beale too much. Maybe it was a, a fact of having a lot of younger guys or guys in uncertain roles or Scott Brooks, never really kind of telling anybody, Hey, you know, do your own thing. You don't have to always give it the ball. To him, everything was situated for Beale, but uh, and these other guys, you know, KCP and Her- Montrose Harrell, they just played with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they're not worrying about Bradley Beal, right? Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is clearly his own guy, he's an interesting human being, and he clearly has got his own confidence level, um, and all that. So, um, it is interesting to see at that point. And you know, uh, they won the, sec- their, uh, the second game of the year when Beale didn't even play because Dinwiddie. Uh, was a rock star that night and they won this game, even though Beal um, was off um, in part because, you know, Montrez Harrell played really well. You mentioned Dinwiddie, Aaron holiday. Let me not forget him. He was the King of the floaters down the stretch. He definitely he crossed up to Justin Kutcher at least once thinking it was going to be a, a lob and it went in all, instead off the glass. Uh, I've always liked Aaron holiday. I mentioned that before. The wizards have a lot of guys that I'm going to say I've I liked, I liked previously, so I, I'm enjoying what we're seeing uh, with them so so far. Um, but, but, Adam, here's what also I'm, I'm, I'm going to enjoy. The Wiz, The Athletic has finally hired somebody to replace Fred Katz. Our mm-hmm. national nightmare is over. And for people who, who know the NBA, know that this is a familiar face. Uh, if you didn't see the news this morning that was put out, uh, Josh Robbins, who used to cover the Orlando Magic, because yeah, technically he still does as of this week, uh, covered the Orlando Magic for the Athletic. He did for the Orlando Sentinel. He is now coming up here to cover the Wizards. He gave a really uh, uh, heartfelt uh, explanation today on the Athletic. Essentially, he I knew that he was from here. He and I both are Montgomery County kids. Uh, but he explained that his father recently passed away and the memories of his father and how much his father helped shape his own career sort of was a pull for him to, to consider coming back here. Once the, once the opportunity presented itself, I encourage everybody, <clears throat> excuse me, to go read, to go read that. But in terms of the actual coverage itself, I mean, Josh and Adam, I think can, can, can speak to some of this as well. Cause Adam was around the team uh, at various points over the last few years, like Josh and Josh is a consummate pro. Um, he knows the league. You know, he's been. I think he said in the article he covered the Magic for at least twelve years. I'm not sure if what, what where he was before that, but you know, he he knows his league. He's written a lot of national stories for the Athletic, Um, and because you know, not, not that you have to, you know, the, I think NBA beat you can kind of go, move from team to team because there's only so many players on the team. But the fact that he was on the same in the same division as the Wizards all these years, you know, I, I think he knows the Wizards pretty well. So I think it's going to be really good, uh, really good for the Athletic. I'm excited. To uh, to see what Josh does and whatever I can do to help along the way, and I'm sure we'll have him on this podcast uh, sooner than later. Uh, Adam, would you like to uh, offer uh, praise up and down for Josh Robbins as a consumer? Like, I mean, you know, i for me, this is my colleague, but for you, you're an con- actual consumer. I know you were worried about what was going to happen here.
3: Uh, this is very very worried. Um, I. I like the fact that, and again, I'm not doing a commercial for him. Uh, I, I have met him; he's a nice guy. But he, I, I like having somebody who grew up in the area and who went to the cap center and who who lived through those early uh, years. You know, the Dell Eccles, Mark Allery. He he was here through those times and understands what it's like to be a fan. I think sometimes people come to the DC area, and because DC is so irrelevant. Uh, especially the the Wizards and Bullets, you know, people think there's not really any history, and 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 they don't understand that the angst, the 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 years and years and years of mediocrity the fans have been through, and that does color how you view the team. So having somebody who's who's been through that, who knows the history, uh, you know, who grew up reading the Washington Post, reading uh, David Aldridge, uh, you know, and just that's just somebody who I think would have a little better uh, uh, handle on on the team history and how to put what, what we're seeing in context uh so i always enjoy having somebody who actually knows knows the history of the team
1: yeah I, I i completely agree the context is key and it's something i deal with also with you know in coverage of the washington football team now uh everybody who's on the beat i think has an understanding but it is different when you're from here most of us on that beat are not from here and it is a different part of the dna you know other people. They're covering this team, but they could be covering the Atlanta Falcons or the Denver Broncos or whatever. But for me, like covering this team, I'm not a fan anymore emotionally. I long dead, same with the Wizards. But like I know the the beats and the history and what it means, and I do think there's something extra to that. So yes, I agree with you on that front. In any event, I'm excited for Josh to be here. Um, uh, like I said, I'll get him on the podcast soon enough. Um, I, don't know what I don't know, but I don't know if there's plans to do a wizards only podcast. But we'll, we'll we'll see about that. Um, and anyway, good news on that front. I'm glad everybody was patient. Sort of, I even had to go on Reddit the other day, Liddell. I saw people fetching about this. I even had to go on Reddit to say, Just ha- "Have some patience. Just you know, come listen to me here, over here on the uh, the the standard grimoli podcast. We'll, we'll get you through it." But the the, the that 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 part is over. Uh, he'll start officially next week. I should, I should know. Not this week. He's still on the Orlando magic duty uh, until, until then. Um, all right. I'm going to uh, let Liddell get back to, or Adam, excuse me, get back to his, to his life. Uh, do, do you have any, uh, you are also a fan of the football team. You've been paying attention to, uh, you, you, you know, you're a legal scholar. You've been paying attention to everything that's going on. Do you have any final thoughts on either that aspect or anything with the wizards or should I just let you go?
3: uh it's hard it's 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 hard to keep watching the the Washington football team uh i don't know i i i think i've switched to, uh, to i think the wizards now I, I think i'm more optimistic about the wizards than than the football team uh so it, it's they're they're making it tough to to be a a, a a to watch the game and commit week in and week out to to watching this uh debacle i'm actually interested in the off the field stuff I, i'm I, I do not agree with the congressional uh, intervention in this case, I don't think it rides the level of that. However, if they're going to have a congressional inquiry, uh, maybe we'll see some actual accountability. And that's that's something to look forward to. But I I expect the NFL and the team is not going to cooperate in any meaningful way with the investigation. So, uh, we'll we'll see if any new information comes out or it's just going to be more... uh, empty promises from the League uh, in terms of, you know, getting a written report out there. And, and, you know, so we'll, we'll see if something more comes out. But I think it will be interesting as they as we move forward. And as the the people who came forward and spoke in the investigation, as their attorneys now are saying that they, uh, you know, not releasing a, a, a report is not for the purpose of protecting their anonymity, they're, they're fine with having a written report come out. So it's they're undercutting Roger Goodell's Reason for having just the verbal report, so we'll see if there's any, any movement on, on that end. But sounds like the NFL is going fight, to fight as hard as they can to keep the, the, uh, the conclusions of the investigation you know, out of the,
1: the public eye. Um, and I'll just say this like you know, you mentioned you may be more, more optimistic about the Wizards than the football team, and I understand that. You know, I, I've been I think mean, I've been tough on Ted Leonsis at times, I think fair, but tough in terms of what are the actual goals for the Wizards and things along those lines. But relatively speaking, the things we talk about with Ted Leontis are essentially just about basketball. They're not about, you know, real life morals and aspects the way we now have to, com- have to constantly discuss with the football team. And, and that's what, you know, it, it just feels like as somebody who has to think about it and cover it and, you know, spend a lot of time talking about it to with, with other people. I mean, it really is just, you know, it, it, it it's just you know it's just tough to hear over and over again um and you know I, I mentioned at the top of the show these various reports coming out of the owners meeting about what tanya snyder apparently said and and just you know showing seemingly you know no showing no signs of acceptance of anything that they seem you know that they have done wrong or or even just from a culture perspective and you know it's really it, it's really frustrating and like i said whatever you know i make i, I constantly knock ted leontes for how many people did he say he spoke to before uh um making some decisions Uh,
3: 78 in honor of the nba champion uh, 1978
1: yeah i mean like you know i i i bring that up all the time and you know probably will 20 more times but again that's all within the context of like sports it's not the other things and there is a difference and um i think that is a good i think ultimately that is a good reason why to be more optimistic about the wizards again you got to get durant or or yoke or Jokic or, or Dontage or lebron or whatever to realistically have a shot at the title but tommy Shepard's done a good job um the you know, things are heading at least in the right direction relative to where they've been the last couple of years what that means long term that's a whole other story and we'll have liddell back for that but uh, or, uh i keep saying liddell adam back for that uh but uh you mentioned liddell Eccles earlier that's on my brain anyway so um uh so yeah so we'll 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 see there's a it's one thing to be feel bad about your team because they're not winning or you know they made a bad trade it's another thing when it's just like you know it it just as a a person it just kind of rubs you the wrong way and and that's where unfortunately the football team has left us uh far uh, far off and uh more often than not in recent uh years um all right that's it for this episode of the podcast Thanks to Adam Rubin for his time to Nick Kosmider and for everybody for listening to the podcast. Uh, I'll be in Denver this weekend. So you can check me out on Twitter at Ben standing uh, more from there. We will see what happens to this team. And of course, follow me on Twitter as like I said uh, for other updates going on the rest of this week, but for now, Ben standing signing off until next time. See ya.